welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. There's no heroes in Test Cricket, son. Retire hurt. August guy in and he kept saying, do you need any shampoo? Do you need any conditioner? My car stunk for about a week and I couldn't get rid of the smell. But it turned out that the decanter of port had been donated to the owner of the hotel by Nelson Mandela upon his release from Robin Island and someone had nicked it. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sports and sports men and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a trampoline gymnast. She has competed in the in the Olympic Games. She's also a world champion. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Oh my god. I apologize, Laura. I apologize. I, what I practiced and I've still failed. Keep that in there. That's absolutely fine. Laura Gallagher, yes. Gallagher? Gallagher. 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 I can't. Yes. <laughs> That's the only time I have to mention your last name. Think raw. <laughs> Before we start, we just wanted to say that throughout this podcast, if you have any questions about us for about anything about our podcast or you have a question about about autism then please ask we'd like to answer your questions too because as i say this is an, an interview not an interrogation <laughs> unless you committed any crime we don't know about you you're good yeah <laughs> it's a conversation not an interrogation oh hopefully we should be good <laughs> we ain't proud now we're not gonna try and eat you okay good <laughs> No, I'm not so sure about him. Hey! <laughs> hey! There's a, there's a screen between us. Yeah. <laughs> not so much me and him. <laughs> All right, right, back to the thing. Sorry, got a little off topic. <laughs> We'd like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talking about your career. You up for that? I am, yes. Okay, you're up. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh, um, probably, uh, probably Lizzie Lizzie Arnold, Winter Olympic champion. Um, yes, she, yeah, uh, she trained here at Bath. I, I used to train at Bath here years ago, and I'm back here again now. Um, and I met Lizzie here in training. Um, so yeah, that's how I know Lizzie. See, Adam, we, we, professional women in sports are easy to find. Good, brilliant. Sorry, really? since most of our guests have been boys. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah, that's not a little. That's not on, is it? Not. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who'd it be and why? Uh, 
um that's it's a good question but a really really tricky question <laughs> um I'm gonna say I feel like like a Cirque athlete maybe Cirque du Soleil partly because I don't think I've got I've got quite the the guts to do some of the stuff that they do although I want to um but also just the just to see what and feel what it's like to perform in a show doing the sorts of things that I do in training if that makes sense like in a different context it'd be quite nice to see that um other than that it would be nice to trade places with an with a completely different sport maybe like I don't know surfing or a team sport that would be quite cool it's probably going to be sport theme though that's probably a really boring answer I can't think of anything really exciting to say actually sorry <laughs> if you could have any superpower what would you have and why superpower um I think if there was a way of and then probably either being invisible because you could see everything and no one knows that you're there um <laughs> or being able to get I can't think of the word but being able to go get from A to B really quickly without teleportation like, yes just Power without teleport. yes yes teleport yeah that's the one yeah so that would be my superpower <laughs> cool thank you for answering those questions let's talk about your career we want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood what are your memories of growing up and did you always want to be a champ trampoline gym um memories of sport growing up um I was really lucky growing up my parents um enabled me and my brother to work just we had the opportunity to try lots of different sports so I did rugby hockey football netball table tennis drama lots of different things I was really lucky to be able to try all of those things um and I I did start trampolining when I was six just at a local sports center just because it looked really fun um, but I did that alongside all of the other sports and it wasn't until I was like 15 after my first international competition that I decided that's the one that I wanted to see how far I could go in it, really. So I guess when I was younger, when I first started trampolining, wasn't in the Olympics. So that wasn't the reason why I, I started or anything like that. Um, but it was always my favourite. It was probably the one that I wasn't the best at of all the sports I was doing at the time, but it was the one that I enjoyed the most and that's what sort of drove me to see how far I could go in the sport. Can you explain a little bit about what trampolining is? How do you score points and what are judges looking for when watching? Uh, so there's a bit more to it than you might you might think. So there's a few different scoring components. So the idea is basically to stay in the middle of the trampoline. So if you can picture a trampoline, do you know there's like a cross? in the middle so you're marked basically how high you do your routine so the time of flight so there's a device on the trampoline that measures how high you jump in the air so that flight times added onto your score you get a difficulty score so how difficult each skill is and you want to go as hard as you can but without um but without um sort of um making the time of flight less and traveling around the, the trampoline as well I haven't explained that very well, have I? So, <laughs> and there's another thing, another measurement called the horizontal displacement. So that measures where you land on the trampoline. 
So you get points to stay in the middle of the trampoline. So you're trying to execute a routine as high as you can, um, as stable as you can. So right in the middle of the trampoline, as difficult as you can, and as well as you can, because there's execution judges as well, um, which mark how well you do the routine. As a teenager, you played a lot of different sports. You mentioned that trampolining wasn't the sport you were best at. So why did you continue with trampolining and what was the and what was it about trampolining that excited you? Um, I think it was the feeling of there not really being um like a limit to it. Um there was always something each session you went in that you could always improve. Even if you were feeling tired one day, there was like you could always improve on another aspect of your training so that could just be like instead of working on how high you jump you could work on how well you perform the skill and things like that there's always something you can that you can do um I think when I was younger I always wanted to like I always enjoyed learning something new like learning the new skills and I love the challenge of that too and how to manage your like mental state when you're training as well that's something I feel like quite passionate about as well um and yeah I just enjoy enjoy that sort of adrenaline rush that you get um when you compete same uh, you became on the 19 world champion in 2007 take us back to the time when in what you are you memories of that yeah that was uh well, that's a really long time ago now um <laughs> it was only my second world um like junior world championships so I still was quite new to to that and I, and and my expectations were different I suppose to then when you move into senior and things so um I didn't know where to put myself I hadn't done too many international competitions at that point so I didn't really know where I was and I was actually lying in third I think going into the final behind my Great Britain teammate Cara at the time going into that final and then I just went for it in the final and um yeah and it and it and it felt really good when I finished my routine I knew I'd done a good one um and I it felt incredible when I was out there but I did struggle to know how to feel when I came home which sounds a bit bizarre but um sometimes doing well is just as tricky to manage as as not doing so well the junior world championships are self-funded which puts a lot of pressure on families to find money from somewhere to be able to send their son or daughter to these massive competitions you went to the junior world championships in canada what are your memories of that and also the financial pressure it can put on the on the families you have done your research haven't you yes yes the junior world championships. poke around in places <laughs> <laughs> yeah whether or no, not we're supposed to question. no no it's a great great question and um it's something that probably isn't highlighted enough um yeah like you said junior the junior sport um world championships um is, is self-funded and it's usually quite expensive as you can imagine Canada's quite far away and lots of money involved so um we did do some fundraising um and we we were lucky I think my club put it in our local paper and um I did have some individual donors just from parents really just um like the odd 50 pound check which was just so lovely and unexpected as well um there's a lot of people that really want other people to do well and that was that felt quite nice to feel quite supported um I didn't really feel it as a pressure but um 
but I was sort of quite taken aback with how much support we had on that front and how many people want to help. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a Paralympian. She competed in the Paralympics as won gold in the 2008, as won gold in the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Welcome to the podcast, Jade Hall. Thank Woo-hoo. you. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, thank you for having me. If you hadn't become a champion athlete, what would you have done? Um, so I, I did a law degree while I was um, racing as well. While I was preparing for Comic Games, I was in my final year of um, a law degree. So while I was trying to do these two sports, I also had to do my dissertation, which was stressful. Um, so I think probably something with my degree, I think it's something that's been put on the back burner a little bit at the minute, but at some point I'd like to do something with it. I'm not sure what that would be. So I haven't really answered your question, I don't think. But um, I think nobody ever really knows what they want to do, do they? But um, yeah, I think probably something with that. Fab. Um, so last few questions, Jade, that's okay. So watching the Paralympics, um, I see so many fantastic and amazing athletes um, who don't let their disability kind of get in the way of, of, of anything they do. I was watching table tennis the other day and the man was using his mouth to hold the, uh-huh. the racket. Yeah. Um, and it was just incredible to watch. Do you think as a Paralympian, you need a different, different mindset to an Olympian, do you think? I think to an extent, yeah, because the world isn't accessible. Naturally, it's not an accessible place. Um, Naturally, disabled people can be excluded from things. And so I think in order to be a Paralympian, you do have to adapt. And you've almost got a responsibility that I think Olympians don't necessarily have in that you, you, it carries this almost pressure to show people you're, you're not just proving to yourself what you can do. You're proving to other people, which I think is, unfair at times but something that you almost take take on board and do as well um but yeah I think there's almost a different level of resilience there because you're constantly battling against perceptions and like also just general equality in races too like the something that gets I get frustrated about it often is so the coverage of Olympics versus Paralympics but also the level of funding, the level of sponsorship and stuff like that, you, you'll you notice a lot more Paralympians will also have a full-time job alongside doing it um, because the funding is not there or there's not as much of it around and sponsorship is much harder to come by. Um, so I think in that aspect, you have a lot more different external things that you have to kind of taking your stride and just be aware of when you want to be a Paralympian. And I was looking at your, I think your, your marathon or your half marathon, or something, your, your times, and they were very similar to, to an able-bodied sort of times. Do you think there's ever an opportunity or a chance maybe to combine Paralympics and the Olympics, or do you think they should be completely two separate, separate things? There's a lot of talk about this. Um, I see both sides. I do. I see how it could be better in some ways to have them together because it would. So the Commonwealth Games are inclusive, completely integrated. Um, and what it does mean is that the coverage is then the same, which is better. But I think the difficulty you have is logistically, it's just, it would just be a nightmare. 
the games would probably about be about two months long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and could you imagine housing that many athletes and that many staff members? And so I think logistically it's not viable. But I also think that, like I said before, like the Paralympics have almost serve a different purpose at times. And so I think including putting them together maybe takes away from that. But yeah, it's an interesting concept because it does work really well for the Commonwealth Games. And I, the one thing that I loved about it is just how equally you were treated when you were there because it was included. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it would be logistically possible. <laughs> I think people talk about this one all the time. Every, every time the games come around, people talk about how it could be put together, but I don't know. I'm not sure it would ever happen. <laughs> no, it'd be nice to see, but yeah, I agree. It would be a it would be a logistic nightmare, but it would be it would be very interesting to see, mm. see it happen. Uh, with regards to disability sports, do you think schools could be doing more? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. I can say you kind of looked into it, didn't you? Yeah. And I was just wondering how easy it is for someone uh, with disability to get involved in disability sports. I think often at schools that um, cater more for disabled people, it's easier. But I, I just, I went to a mainstream school and there was no reason why I shouldn't have. Um, but that also then made it very difficult for me to be involved in sport. So there weren't really any facilities or any provisions. There was, there was nothing, no plan really made for how to include me. And again, like I said earlier, I've got a really quite a minimal impairment. And so if I can't be included, then there's almost no hope for somebody that is more impaired. Yeah. So I think there's a lot more that can be done. And I think a lot of it is around education, really. Um, it's because it, it's so simple to adapt PE, really. It is. It's just knowing how to do it. And once you know, you can just apply that to every lesson. So I think yeah there's just a lot more education that's needed around disability because really like I was saying earlier the only way that disability is going to become more normalized is if people are completely integrated you know if, if children see disabled people doing sport doing playing games and doing all these things that children do then it it makes it more normal doesn't it but if there are constantly these barriers in the way and sport and PE lessons are made inaccessible, then nothing's going to change. So I think, yeah, things could be better. And like you say, my experience, it wasn't that long ago, really. Um, I'm 25. It wasn't that long ago that I was in school and it was still kind of inaccessible. And I think from a perspective outside of school as well, like children who aren't disabled can just go down to their local club and be welcomed with open arms and included straight away and it's not an issue whereas someone that's disabled that's not necessarily something that you can do you know if you need equipment it's not it's not there and it's not cheap either which is something that frustrates me because it creates just another barrier another level of difficulty for someone who's disabled to get into sport and it's really hard because I don't know how you can change that when that's all there is you know currently that's what the option is and if you need equipment then it's expensive and that's mm. the reality of it and it's just how to kind of get around that and I know there's a lot of charities and things out there that do some really great work and um, do provide equipment and things for disabled people but there's still so much more that could be done really yeah definitely I completely agree 
Um, Jay, just moving on now to kind of more your career, and you mentioned that Tanny Gray Thompson was a big influence in your career. So kind of from that age of sort of 12 or 13, whenever, whenever sort of Tanny Gray Thompson got involved, how did your career move? What was kind of the next stage when you were sort of mid-teens? Yeah, so when I first started, for me, it was just about the love of sport. Like I, I just loved the way it feel, like made me feel, the freedom it gave me, the independence it gave me. Um, so at first it was just really low level and I, you know, I wasn't taking it seriously and I didn't really have any you know, expectations to become a sports person or do anything with it. It was purely because it made me feel good and the health benefits that came with it. But um, Tani and Ian both um, basically just asked me to do a race. There were some local ones that were coming up, um, track races and road races. And the more I did, the more I wanted to do. So it just kind of really naturally evolved for me. Um, it wasn't forced at all. It was just a case of actually, I just really want to do it more. So it just kind of gradually kept going that way. And um, as I got older and I got a bit stronger and a bit quicker, I kind of started to see a different sort of future. And I think I, I spent a lot of time watching YouTube of old races from, you know, all, all these girls that I actually now compete against, which is crazy. <laughs> At the time, it was like, oh, my word, like I would love to follow in their footsteps. So it's kind of strange now when you're sat on the same start line and friends with a lot of them as well. So, yeah, it just kind of really naturally evolved for me. But um, I think I was probably about 14 when I kind of thought about, you know, maybe I could actually have a future in it and, you know, this is could be where my life goes. Um, but even at that point, like say you're 14, you, thinking back now, it's like how on earth did I did I think that that's you know where my life was going to go you don't really know what you're doing at 14 do you you kind of just I don't know you have all these ideas but often life doesn't go that way but yeah I think I was lucky enough to be able to continue that and keep that going join us today on the TWS sports podcast we are joined by Olympic gymnast she's the current individual trampoline world champion has won two Olympic medals welcome to the podcast Bryony Page hi thank you so much for having me in the age of kind of social media and body image and things like that, lots of girls find it different, difficult to, to look a certain way or be a certain way. Have you got any advice or anything that you'd give to, to maybe a teenage girl right now about the kind of self-conscious and, and body image and things mm. like that? Yeah, um, I think one thing that's quite simple that, that they can do um, is obviously because of social media, it's actually like seems really simple. Just start following people that have different body shapes and sizes and that celebrating that um <clears throat> and that people that look different and um well everyone looks different but you know the people that are celebrating that I think is that will help um just for that on their social media feed as they scroll through they're seeing that they're not just seeing what they you know social media is telling you what to look like it's actually you know find find some people to follow for that um but within themselves um just to realize you know it it's what's it sounds so cheesy and cliche but it's what's inside that counts more than what you look like and 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 so if you're putting in you know if you're following your values of like if it's working hard if it's been you know friendly to everyone if it's been kind to friends you know being selfless like helping people like that's what really matters and um and just not to judge yourself or others by what they look like and how they uh, you know uh 
what efforts they put into their appearance. It's more like what's behind that. There's the, the, the saying about judging a book by its cover, not judging a book by its cover. Um, it's really just trying to um, help yourself do that for you, but also don't judge others as well. And that will help to, to start it. But I think for social media wise, if you start to follow um, people that are celebrating um, their uniqueness or the way that they look, um, I think that's going to help. And also if I say it from the Olympic side, and if you're in sport and if you've got um, a, a girl that's doing sport and she's conscious about her body, um, just <laughs> see if you can get any video of, of somebody going into, I think Tom Daly's done one where he goes into the canteen at, at an Olympics and they, they're so, the, the amount of the people that are there and everyone's looking so different, different shapes and sizes that, you know, you don't have to look like a certain way to, to be sporty or to be fit and healthy. So um, I think that's important to remember as well. Moving on to a few years, obviously, I imagine the London Olympics in 2012 was a, a big goal for you. But you missed out, was it due to injury or illness? How, um, how difficult a time was that for you to miss out? Um, but yeah, so I, I missed out. Um, and it was really tough because because I knew I had more in me from those initial trials um, and that I wanted to, you know, make do the other trials and, and show what I could do. It was really, really tough. And for it to be things that, you know, I was trying to I was trying to train through um, my injury and, and that obviously made it worse. And so it was a very big learning opportunity for me to know what to do and what not to do in certain situations. Um, and I think. What I was able, because I was knocked out so early, actually, it was a blessing in disguise because I was able, my name was able to be put forward for the uh, British Olympic Association's um, ambassador programme. So it meant that it's potential Olympians, they, from different sports, they all kind of collect together um, and get to go to workshops and and listen to inspirational people and get some of the kit and go to the Olympics um, for a couple of days and watch their their event and also other events and just see how the Olympics works. We were able to go into the village to see what that was like. So we were able to go to the London Olympic Village. We were able to go and see like kind of behind the scenes. And I had two experiences that have really hold, uh, captured me, captured my attention and are gonna be in my memory for the rest of my life. Um, and it's so strange just looking back to it um the two experiences was one uh, the absolute disappointment and just like gut-wrenching it was the heartbreaking to go into the arena um and watch the trampolining and not be the person on the floor um competing just walking in I just tears just started going just streaming from my eyes and I couldn't stop them um it was really strange because it wasn't like I was crying it was like I wasn't, you know, hysterical crying or anything. It just tears. It was really strange. Just my eyes watering. <laughs> and I just was like, I don't know. I'm just, it's just there. I think it was like, that was the, the moment that it hit me that I hadn't made the team and that I wasn't going to be competing at home Olympics. Um, so that was such a negative emotion. I didn't ever want to feel that again. I wanted, so that motivated me uh, in training to make sure um, I could, I I'd always capture that feeling to, to train hard to avoid it. Um, but then on the flip side of that, because of this ambitious program, I was able to be inside um, what's called a nearest and dearest tent, 
So it's where um, family and friends of somebody who's competing as part of Team GB all gather together, watch it on TV if they can't get tickets. Um, so I was, I was able to go in this tent as a cyclist was winning gold and experience their family and friends just like cheering them on, erupting, feeling all that happiness, joy and excitement and just like that pride and being in that tent and feeling that emotion, um, that positive emotion that for me was like, right, I really want this. Um, I like it was that positive motivator that drove me on. So having the complete extremes of missing out, not making it, and then um, what could be and experiencing that that joy and emotion for friends and family and what I could bring uh, to everyone that supported me. Those were two massive motivators. Um, so yeah, so as gut-wrenching gut and heartbreaking it was not to make the London Olympics, like the right person 100% went for our country, uh, did very, very well. Um, and I learned so much from that experience and definitely drove me to be able to to make it to uh, the next few years and, and to the Olympics. Join us today on the TWS Sports Podcast. It's one of Britain's greatest ever athletes. She is a Paralympian, cross-bench peer in the House of Lords, motivational speaker and a broadcaster. Welcome to the podcast, Dame Tani Gray-Thompson. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Did the London 2012 game at achieve 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 all of the goals um i i think it achieved um loads so in terms of like the park and you know the um the london stadium which is now used for football and athletics we've got the velodrome for cycling yeah it did it, it's no other city before had thought about what would happen to those venues after the games and the housing that's there now, that is brilliant. The kind of the promise to, you know, try and change people's level of physical activity um, and inspire a nation to be active is really difficult because you've got to put a load of money into that as well. And and money wasn't invested in that. And it was probably never going to be. So I'd say it probably achieved a lot of what it wanted to do, but it didn't achieve everything. But that's where you've got the sporting event and then you need government to step up and, and pay for other things. And, you know, the games were expensive. Well, the 10 billion. So, I mean, if that was in my bank account, that's, that's a lot of money. But, but actually, it's what the country, the UK spends in three days on NHS, housing, roads, schools, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, it's um, it, it probably needed another 10 billion spent on schools, programs, education, change in PE and facilities. And, and that money didn't, didn't, didn't come with it. Um, you became a dame in 2005 and you received the honor from the queen. What was that like? And did you talk to the queen? And I did talk to the queen. Um, it's quite nerve wracking to be honest. Um, it's, um, you kind of don't want to mess it up because she's the queen. So, um, yeah, get going to Buckingham Palace um, and, um, you know, making sure you're wearing the right stuff and all that. Yeah, it's, it's a bit scary. There is one bit um, that I, I, after Sydney, we had, there was a reception at Buckingham Palace for all the Olympians and Paralympians. And my picture was in the paper the next day. 
uh, and on a couple of newspapers, it was like front page, and it was like this is really exciting. Um, and I was wearing this like really smart suit, but I was also wearing a pair of purple Doc Martin boots. And my mum went really mad with me, and she's like, "I can't believe you went to meet the Queen and you were wearing Doc Martins." And um, she was like, "What's the Queen going to think of me?" I was like, "I'm sure the Queen's not thinking of you, Mum." And that was the wrong thing to say to my mum as well. But um, yeah, there's um, she, she was like, the Queen's going to be so... She wanted me to write to the Queen to apologise for me wearing Doc Martens to go and visit the Queen. It was like, okay, I didn't. Um, and um, yeah, there's sort of funny moments like that. But yeah, it's really exciting meeting her. And she's lovely and kind and asks loads of questions. And um, yeah, it's it goes really quickly. And then you can't really remember what she said, which is all a bit weird. In 2010, you became... Baroness, Grey Thompson, and now work in the House of Lords. How did that happen? And is it a role you enjoy? Um, I love it. I mean, it's hard, and um, uh, it's we work long hours. We work in an amazing building. I don't know if you can see all the wood panelling behind me. I mean, this is my office. It's it's beautiful. A bit untidy behind me as well, but we won't talk about that. Um, I, I do love it. But um, the bit I don't love is we've got a lot of mice in the building. Oh, dear. And I'm not very keen on mice. And sometimes you see them kind of scuttling down the corridors and things like that. But after a bit, you kind of get used to them. But no, I, I do love it because it's a chance to change things. It's a chance to... You know, I work on education and I work on disability rights. Um, and, um, yeah, it's it's it, it's a good place to be. And people here are really lovely. From your experience of travelling the world, are some countries more understanding of disabilities than others? Yeah, absolutely they are. Um, so, so, bizarrely, America is a really good place to be a wheelchair user um, for access because everywhere um, is wheelchair accessible. Um, because the legislation is so strong. Um, I mean, I've been very lucky. I've got to travel all over the world. So, you know, China, which I went to, wasn't brilliant for access, but people were really happy to kind of help. So I remember, um, you know, needing to go somewhere and there are quite a few like little steps up and down. And I was trying to figure out if there was another way around. And just some some local young men just sort of pointed and said, you want to go there? And I was like, yeah. And they just picked up my chair and carried me. So... You know, I'd rather do it myself, but it was it was really interesting that they were so willing to help um, and, and to make my life sort of a, a little bit easier. So, um, yeah, it's very different every country you go to. You never quite know what to expect when, when you're going somewhere else. Um, four years later, um, you made it to another Paralympics, and this time it was Sydney uh, to 2000. That was another great game for you. Yeah, Sydney was was really good. And, um, you know, again, I, I you've got to kind of recreate yourself as an athlete every four years because you can't just keep doing the same thing all the time because you don't improve. And um, I, uh, I won four gold medals in Sydney. And, um, yeah, it, it was... Yeah, I, I think at that point as well, you kind of... You're getting older. And I think even at that point, I realised that if I could do another Games... Athens would be my last one um, because of, of how old I was. So, um, yeah, and, and Sydney was great and they did a really good job on the Paralympics and the weather was... Actually, the weather is a bit mixed, to be honest. 
I remember my 400 metres, it tipping down with rain, and that was really miserable. It's always miserable racing a 400 metres in the rain. Um, but um, they they got the, the Paralympics and, you know, their, their athletes, uh, you know, got a lot of media coverage and a lot of support, which is really nice to see. <clears throat> oh boy. Um, I apologise for this question because I'm not so sure you'll be 100% comfortable with it. Have you ever faced any discrimination? If so, how would you, how do you overcome that? And what advice would you give to other wheelchair users who may face it? I mean, I've experienced loads of discrimination and um, from being little, you know, when I was very young and people pulling their kids out of my way saying, don't get too close to her, you might catch it. Whatever it is, you know, I was like, okay. Um, my my parents were amazing at explaining to me that there are just some mean people out in the world who don't understand that I'm different, and and they helped me me deal with that um, pretty well. So what I still get, which I sort of find not funny is the wrong word, but I get um, people like you, and they kind of point their finger at my wheelchair. It's like, oh, you can't do that. Why? Oh, it's not safe. Well, getting on a bus or, you know, and, and people have a, some people have a view of what being a wheelchair is like. So I've, I've had someone say to me, oh, your, your life must be really sad. I was like, no, it's, it's not. It's not. So um, I think, you know, age and, I mean, traveling sport teaches you to be quite thick skinned about some of these things. And um, whenever anyone says to me, oh, like people like you can't do that. My response is, what do you mean Welsh people? And then, oh, or, and went, oh, sorry, did you mean because I'm a wheelchair user that I can't do that? And you decide. So I try not to be stroppy and rude. I do. I mean, I mean occasionally it, it does come out a little bit. But, but if somebody tells me, you know, oh, well, people, I've, I've also had people say to me, people like you shouldn't have been allowed to have children because I've got a daughter. And it's like, what, what, what do you mean by that? So, yeah, I, I try to kind of, be polite and try to explain to people but it to be honest it's not always easy because there are some some strange people in the world probably what I get a bit more of is you know because I used to be an athlete and people recognize me which is lovely or if I've done something on tv I'll get I had someone recently come up to me and say oh you're tanny aren't you yet oh I didn't realize you look like that in real life but yeah I do and they said um oh you know the BBC have got really good makeup artists haven't they they made you look really good. You go, yeah, yeah, they did. And so I think if you're in people's living rooms on TV, they kind of think they know you because they've seen you do an interview or because you're in their living room, they treat you a bit like family. And and sometimes people don't mean to be rude, but they 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 sometimes are. So for me, I, I try to educate people and I try to just say, look, I'm different, but that doesn't make my life worse or it doesn't mean I have less value. So, yeah, I think as you get older, you just get better at dealing with with some people who are a bit mean. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. 
This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.